My name's Kevin. I'm one of the worship drummers. You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We are working our way through the entire Bible during 2023 in a sermon series called The Story. For more information about our church or to find resources related to the story, visit kingscross.org. As Josh said, uh, I'm Andy. If you're new here, if you're a first-time visitor, I'm one of the uh, elders here who is not on the staff. So that's my introduction. And my wife can say amen to this. I don't know if she's in this service or not. But I enjoy reading and watching things that pertain to the mystery, crime fiction, legal genres, okay? And uh, some of my favorites include Mickey Haller, he's the Lincoln lawyer, um, Jack McCoy, famous iconic lawyer on Law and Order, and one you may not know of, Martha Costello, let's give the women some love here, who's in a British series, Silk. And what you see in these type of legal uh, genre things especially is that the, both the prosecution and the defense lawyers depend on the rulings of a judge as they seek justice for their clients. Okay? So justice for both the accused and the victims requires good judgments from a judge. Now on July 23rd, there was a shooting murder of a young woman named Tanya Powell in Minneapolis. Now there was a man who had previously been arrested for committing a carjacking, multiple carjackings with a weapon, and when he was arrested, they found he had drugs and weapons in his car. And he was set free to walk away with no bail. Now, in my mind, that is an example of bad judgment by a judge that had eternal consequences for Tanya Powell. Now, I am a glutton for punishment, okay? Almost a year ago, I volunteered to Pastor Chip to preach on the book of Job this summer, which some of you know I did previously. Well, Pastor Chip sent an email out to the elders and uh, said he was going to be gone, the non-staff elders. Josh was going to be coming back from the retreat. Who would like to preach on the topic of judgment in the minor prophets? Last week, Pastor Chip got to preach about the topic of love out of the book of Hosea. So like I said, I'm a glutton for punishment. Okay? How do the minor prophets speak for God about God's judgment? And like Pastor Chip zeroed in on one Hosea last week, I'm going to zero on, on one this week, Zephaniah. And I'll tell you this when I start here. I stand here, and I come today, hopefully, with humility and sensitivity. I take no pleasure in the fact 
that people experience God's judgment. But this morning, we are going to look at three certainties in the book of Zephaniah about God's judgment. The first is this. God's judgment begins with God's people. Okay? Open your Bibles if you don't have them, or open your device. Hopefully you'll follow along here. And turn to the book of Zephaniah towards the back of the Old Testament, and I'm going to read from Zephaniah 1, verses 1 through 3. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. Okay, so let's begin with a little background here. Okay? Zephaniah begins... Oh, I forgot to read the other two verses. Sorry. Put that back up there. I've already messed up, okay? I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble of the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. So Zephaniah begins by proclaiming the big picture. Strong words. Calamity is coming. Now, who is Zephaniah? A bit of historical salvation history context. And this is really good. We've been doing the story. Many of you, most of you, if you've been here, are more familiar with the things I'm going to share with you now. That God delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt. Eventually, they ended up in the promised land. Eventually, they had a good king, the best of the kings of Israel, David. And uh, David ruled well. His son Solomon started off well, ended not so well. Because of that, God allowed the kingdom to split in two because of conflict. There was the northern kingdom Israel, and there was the southern kingdom Judah. Now, if you read and you look at the northern kingdom, every single one of their kings was bad, okay? Everyone was bad. If you look at the southern kingdom, Judah, it was a mixed bag. They had some good kings and some bad kings. And so that's the point we find ourselves at today, is that the northern kingdom, eventually their kings were bad, therefore the kings were supposed to help lead the people. The people drifted into horrible sin, and God allowed the Assyrians to come to conquer them and carry them away in captivity to Assyria. So the northern kingdom no longer exists. So we are now only dealing with the southern kingdom, Judah. And the king of Judah was Josiah. Now, Josiah was one of the good kings. He was a reformer. He brought, a lot, he brought about a certain amount of revival in Judah among God's people. But as it goes in these minor prophets, 
the people still drifted away. They still worshipped God, but worshipped idols. And so Josiah was a reformer, but the fact that it says that Zephaniah lived during the time of Josiah meant he was also a contemporary of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, that book, tells us a lot more about what was going on at this time. What was the setting where Jephaniah prophesied to the people about judgment beginning with God's, God's people? Well, during the time of Jeremiah, if you wanted to sum it up, after Josiah, they had bad kings and bad prophets. And both of them were looking out for their own interests, and Jeremiah and Zephaniah's messages of judgment was something they did not like. And what the prophets told the people, they claimed to be speaking for the God, and here's what they said, God will not judge us. We are the chosen people, and the temple is in Jerusalem, and God loves us so much that he will not judge us. But Zephaniah has something different to say. In verse 4, he says, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal, that's the gods of the surrounding nations that they were worshiping, and the names of the idolatrous priests along with the, pri along with the priests. So Zephaniah clearly says here that God will judge Judah, and in particularly the people in Jerusalem on the basis of their unfaithfulness to the covenant God had made with them. The covenant where God told them how to relate to him and how to relate to their neighbors. Now what was the problem with how they related to God? They did not exclusively worship the true living God. Verse 5, those who bow down on the roofs to the hosts of heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord, and yet swear to, this is another God, Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord and do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. Okay, so the problem was the people were double-minded. They said that they wanted to worship God, but they worshiped others. Their heart was in two places, like Pastor Josh just talked about before our time of worshiping with our giving. Our heart can be in two places regarding God and money. Thank you, Josh, for setting that illustration up wasn't planned, but it's a good one. So, they did not exclusively worship the one true living God. And there's another reason God was judging them, and these themes are in all of the major prophets and the minor prophets. They do not treat their own people with justice. Look at verses 12 through 14. 
At that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent, those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will the Lord do ill. That, that idea that God isn't really actively involved in our lives. Their good shall be plundered, and their houses laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink the wine from them. That's a picture of people who have some degree of wealth and affluence. Now, Tim Keller who recently went to be with the Lord, a pastor in New York City, which a lot of Christians know about through his preaching and his books, has a small short book, which I would highly recommend you read, called Generous Justice. And in there, he identifies that in the Old Testament, the main principle that God laid out for their people with regard to what justice looked like among the people of Israel is this. You care for the vulnerable. You care for the poor, the widows, the orphans, and the sojourners. That's the main principle. But look what was going on in other of the minor prophets regarding their care for the people. In Amos 4, 1 and 2, this is what Amos has to say. He was a prophet in that northern kingdom before they were conquered. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. Now he's talking to the women there, okay? who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to their husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord has sworn by his holiness that behold the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with fish hooks, even the last of you with the fish hooks. What he's saying to those women in particular, although it would apply to the men too, you are living in affluence and leisure and you are ignoring the needs of the poor among your own people. Listen to what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 5.28. He says, They have grown fat and sleek, they know no bounds in deeds of evil. They do not, they judge not with justice the cause of the fatherless to make it prosper. And they do not defend the rights of the needy. You see, that's God's main concern for us with regard to justice. Are we caring for those who are part of our spiritual family? Are we caring for those who are vulnerable? Now, I believe one group of people that could added, be added to that list who are always vulnerable are children. Because children 
are dependent on others for their well-being, particularly their parents, but not just their parents. And I want to tell you about three opportunities that we have at King's Cross Church to practice justice for the vulnerable, the children. First of all is truth in nature. You can learn about that ministry on our website or talk to Pastor Josh. It's a ministry that we are involved in which reaches out and comes alongside boys without fathers. So truth in nature. The second one is King's Cross Kids. Every single Sunday, we could use volunteers in King's Cross Kids. Now, you don't have to serve every week. You can pick how often you will serve in a month. And you don't have to miss worship because now that we're back to two services and we have been for a while, you can serve in one hour and come to the worship service in the other hour. And I would particularly say this. We always need more men involved in the ministry of King's Cross Kids. I hear that from my wife who serves in there and some of the other women, that when they have a man in the room with them, it makes all the difference. So three ways, and and then one more. Sorry, here's the third one. We need some people to help to volunteer to serve in child care for our re-engage ministry, which helps to bring about and to nurture healthy marriages within the people of King's Cross. Because when marriages are not healthy, children become more vulnerable. So we do need some people. Pastor Josh sent out an email this week to some people in this church. But if you would be interested in being on the list so that you could step up and serve and take care of the children while their parents are going to the re-engage gatherings, talk to Pastor Josh about that as well. So God is judging them for their double-minded worship, and their lack of justice to vulnerable people. This is not to be taken lightly. Look at what it says here. It's three times in this passage, in this first part of Zephaniah, the day of the Lord is referred to. Now, what is the day of the Lord? It is that time where God will judge his enemies and bless his followers. And he says that here in the context of his own people, that some of you, because of the way you are living, have become my enemies. In verse 14 and following, two times, it mentions the word, the wrath of God. Now that's not a word we like, but there is strong language here. Why? Because in verse 17, it says, we have sinned. Now, this is not just a warning for God's people in the Old Testament. The New Testament proclaims the same thing. In 1 Peter 4.17, Peter declares to New Testament Christians that judgment begins with the house of the Lord. Now, Christians have different views on on whether Christians will be judged at the end of the age. I tend to fall on the side of the fact that we will 
That judgment will not be about where we spend eternity, but will, it will be about how we spend eternity. And it's too big, big of a topic for me to unpack now, but I would say this. Two of the th strong biblical reasons I believe that are, first of all, how Jesus talked about rewards and positions in heaven based on how we live our lives on earth. The second reason is found in 1 Corinthians 3, where it has a picture of us being judged according to our works, and it talks about going through a refiner's fire where all the works that we are useless will be burned away. And it says some people will enter into heaven, and the picture I have is they will enter into heaven smoking. There is not... not cigarettes or something, smoking because everything is burned away and there's nothing left. And I just say that there's a gravity about how we live our lives now. But Zephaniah still offers hope right now to his people in the midst of the words here are distressed, devastation, and darkness. Look at what it says in Zephaniah 2 verse 3. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness and seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. He's speaking to his people right now. But that brings us to the second certainty. God's judgment extends to all people. We see this uh, stretching out from chapter 2, verse 4, through chapter 3, verse 8. In chapter 2, we see that judgment will fall upon all the nations surrounding Judah. They're listed here. Gaza, Canaan, Moab, Ammon, Cush... It also tells us that at that time, judgment will come upon the great powers of the day. And he gives an example. He talks about Assyria and Nineveh, who the southern kingdom people know has already carried the northern kingdom off into captivity. Now, God is not arbitrary, He's not talking about destroying these nations because of some personal whim. They are being judged because of their wickedness and brutality and the rejection of the God of Israel. Because all those nations had heard about the God who delivered Israel. And they could have chosen to turn and follow that God, and they would have been welcome. But instead, they chose to attack God's people with great brutality. No one has an excuse. In Romans 1, it says that we can know not just there is a God by looking at his creation, but we can know what kind of God he is and what his character is like. Nobody has an excuse. And the judgment spoken of here truly happened. 
these nations cease to exist. Do you know any Moabites? Have you noticed the nation of Moab on the news lately when they talk about the Middle East? It's because it doesn't exist. This past week, I took a hike in North Carolina in the Devil's Courthouse. Now, first of all, I know it really wasn't the Devil's Courthouse because the Devil's Courthouse was here because while you were experiencing the weather that we have here, I was, in seven, I was on a hike where it was 70 degrees with no humidity. But there's another reason I know it, was the de- it, it wasn't really the Devil's Courthouse is because I thought as I was making this hike up to the top, the reality is that the Devil doesn't have a courthouse. Only God has a courthouse. Future judgment will come to all people. At the end of the book of Revelation, it tells us that God will judge everyone, and there's two ways they will be judged. They will be judged as to whether their books are written in the book of life, And if their names are not there, they will be judged according to the books of all the deeds they have committed in their life, good and bad. And the fact is, Romans 3.23 tells us that all people are guilty, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, what he desires. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. The warning about this time is clear. Zephaniah 3.8 says this. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey, for my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, that's everybody, to pour out upon them my judgment, all my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy all the earth shall be consumed. That's not a prophecy about their immediate future. That's a prophecy about the end of days. How do you know that your name is written in the book of life? Well, back to Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ his Son. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, Jesus Christ, and whosoever believes in him And the bigger definition of that are the first words that Jesus spoke in his ministry. Repent, acknowledge that you're a sinner, and believe that Jesus Christ's death on the cross paid the penalty for your sins. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, I've talked about judgment of God's people, judgment of the nations, but for the people that God loves, this is not the end. God's judgment of his people brings delight to his people. Think about that. God's judgment of his people brings delight to his people. God was going to judge the people in Zephaniah's day. 
What happened to God's people? The prophecies that Jeremiah spoke came true. They were conquered by the Babylonians. They were carried away from Israel. The temple was destroyed, and they lived in Babylonia for 70 years. God used this time of judgment to draw his people back to him. Look at verse 9 of, Jeremiah, of Zephaniah chapter 3. For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. God used that time in Babylon to purify their hearts, to give them a real heart desire to once again worship the living God. So eventually they returned to Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple and its walls. In the past couple years, we have looked at both Ezra and Nehemiah to see the story of that happening. It happened. God keeps his promises. God has great love for his people. Follow along as I read Zephaniah 3.17. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. For the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. This is the prophecy Zephaniah was speaking to them. What would happen after they went through judgment? He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. And this is the coolest part. He will exalt over you with loud singing. God sings over us. What a God. How wonderful. Still something was missing when they returned from Jerusalem. And there's a technical term for this. We call, we, what some have called the prophetic echo... The principles, the promises, the prophecies and the promises of the Old Testaments were partially yet meaningly fulfilled, and we can read about those fulfillments. So in this case, the prophecy was that Judah was going to be judged. Jeremiah says God's people were going to be carried off to Babylon, and yet that part of God's promises to his people was fulfilled. They returned from Babylon and they rebuilt the temple. But still a greater fulfillment was to come. You see, when they returned to Jerusalem, there was one thing that was missing that they had had before. The good king was missing. See, that was a promise that God gave to his people. Jeremiah prophesied that there would always be a person from David's line ruling God's people. But that king was missing. You see, the good king was yet to come. The good king we hear about in the first verses of the New Testament, it says that Jesus 
was of the line of David. Matthew 1.1. The good king came. And here we get to another principle for understanding the Bible. Already but not yet. The already but not yet of the gospel. Jesus has come. We read in the Gospels, that he came, and yet many of his own people, the Jewish people, rejected him. But some believed. Jesus has come. We can have salvation based on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But Jesus also is coming. Already, but not yet. Already, Jesus has come. Our sins can be forgiven. We call that justification. Already, Jesus has come, and he has returned to heaven, but he sent his Holy Spirit, and we experience sanctification. That means that our lives look more like the reality of our salvation. We grow in Christ-likeness, but there's a not yet, and that's called glorification. When Jesus returns again, he will set all things right. The prophecies of Zephaniah came to pass. The prophecies about Jesus' return in the Bible will come to pass. The judgment that I spoke about earlier, And whether you find yourself in the book of life or the books of your deeds will come to pass. These are a certainty. And now we get to the biblical truth. Often we put that at the beginning of the sermon. I put it at the end in the conclusion. Judgment resulting in justice is sweet. Judgment, the judgment that we experience as God tries to purify our lives, which results in the justice at the end of the age that we will struggle with sin no longer and we will be in God's presence for eternity is sweet. So I have two questions for you today. Will you receive justice according to the books of the deeds what you have done? Or will you receive justice according to what Jesus has done for you? And what does that look like in your lives as you live today? Let me read Zephaniah 3.17 to you once more to close. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. You know, Larry Crabb once said that that truth, he's a Christian author and counselor, made him want to jump up and down. Let's pray. Almighty God, And I come to you and approach you, first of all, with that name. You are the almighty God, maker of heaven, who designed the way that we should live for our enjoyment and our best interests. And yet we rebel against you as human beings. 
Lord, we thank you for the wonderful offer of salvation in Jesus Christ. Judgment is not something that's fun to talk about, but it's a biblical certainty. And I pray this morning that we would take these words and we would be both challenged by them, but also that we would be encouraged by them because we know ultimately for th- that though, for those people that love you, you love them. Amen. My name's Chip. I'm the lead pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope that you're growing in the gospel as we work our way through the story. Take a moment to subscribe and you'll get each week's episode automatically. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.